Hello everybody, and welcome to Psy Minus Phi, a movie club for science nerds and science club for movie nerds. I'm your host, Christopher Stern, and today I'm here with friend of the show, Veronica Sullivan. Hi everyone! Uh, Veronica is here, uh, back with us today, filling in for Nathan, who couldn't make it. So, yeah, welcome Veronica, and I think we're going to have a fun discussion today. Oh, I'm super happy. Thank you so much, Chris, for inviting me back to the show. I love your podcast, and I'm super excited to talk about one of my favorite movies today. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, do you want to introduce the movie today? Just tell us what we're watching. Sure. Yeah, Arrival is a 2016 American science fiction drama film. It was directed by Dennis Villeneuve and adapted by uh, Eric Helsinger. If I can spell his say his last name. How do you say his last name? I think Eric Heiserer is how I would say it. Heiserer. Heiserer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was based on the short story of Story of Your Life by Ted Chang. And it stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Wick. Um, yeah, I honestly love this film. It follows the linguist uh, Louise, who's played by Amy Adams. Um, and they're enlisted to the U.S. State Army to discover how to talk to the aliens that have arrived to Earth. And 12 of them have arrived, and they try to figure out what, what their intentions are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great rendition of the alien invasion kind of film. There's, yeah, you can go so many different ways with it. It steps away from being kind of very generic. And I don't know, it's a great film to watch, right? Oh, I love it. I mean, I love Amy Adams. I think she's a phenomenal actress. I mean, they could have picked anyone but I'm mean, for the male lead, but Jeremy Renner is a, also a fantastic actor. And I think the chemistry between the two, uh, that initial scene where they're in the helicopter and they're joking around and he's like, oh, we should ask them Fibonacci and see what they can talk about. And Amy Adams is like, why don't we just like talk to them? Let's talk to the aliens, shall we? Let's start there, which is, of course, the best way to go about it <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah it's a lot of fun um so what stands out to, uh, what stands out to you about the film what do you really like about it i think you said it's one of your favorite films right so what makes it one of your favorite yeah i think i have a top 10 and i'd say half of them are sci-fi kind of movies because I, I feel like it, it brings you into a different concept and a different way of thinking. Um, I, I really love this movie in particular, especially when it comes to comes around time. Any theme that has time involved, I'm a huge, huge fan of. Um, but for this particular movie, what I really like is the constant state of mystery throughout the film. I mean, it starts with the woman holding their child and it skips to a woman playing with their daughter in the field. And then you're thinking, oh, this woman had a daughter and then she's gone due to some incurable illness. And then she continues to live her life as a linguistic professor. And these aliens show up later on. And you don't get on into the whole entire movie until you realize, oh, wow, until the very end, she never had a daughter. She never had to watch her kid, you know, die of this incurable disease. Um, and she's realizing throughout the entire film that this sense of mystery what's going on and you're with the character 
of Louise and you're trying to figure it out and you're getting these flashbacks and these dreams. Um, for me, it really, really reminisced because I mean, I'm a person that dreams every night, which is very rare, apparently. Um, and I remember all my dreams. So when I watch a movie where the dreams uh, definitely take over your life is, is pretty, pretty interesting because very few movies actually talk about in depth about how your language, how your dreams and how your work all combines into making a particular decision. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? What do you like about the film? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you touched on it with, in, in some way, just about the writing. And uh, I think it's kind of a great adaptation of Ted Chang's short story. Um, it changes what needs to be changed to make the story make sense for film. And yeah, it's just very well structured. I mean, you can go through kind of general three-act structure in a film and you can see all those points are hit exactly when they need to be. Uh, and yeah, it just kind of goes to testament of how well written it is and then how well it's made and put together by the director. Um, great acting. And I think the music as well stands out to me. Yes, definitely. I think the music, very few movies make music a character of the film. And in the aliens, they don't have any dialogue. They just have this amazing surround sound booming that just, you know, when you're in the theater, when I watch this in the theater, I just felt the surround sound like hit all of my organs, hit my chest and I felt it billowing inside my chest. And it was just like, wow, this is amazing. It really feels like you're, you're, the screen that you're watching on the theater is actually the screen of what Louise is seeing of the aliens just on the other side. And I think that was, it's a really good film that I think that if you don't have a big screen, please do not watch it on your phone. Definitely get at some sort of big screen or knock on your neighbor's door who has like some sort of mini theater. I think this film is really meant for the good surround sound and the visual effects. But yeah, I think this movie hits all the marks, has great script, great acting, great visuals, and great music. Yeah, I think given the scale of it, right, you're talking about aliens coming to Earth for the first time. It really does have that big, big scale that you need to see on bigger screens. Um, Yeah, phones just won't cut it. And yeah, you need like the good audio because in terms of the music, like you got this amazing score by Johan Johansson, uh, who kind of took, I think... How I would describe it is like he took these unique sounds that you don't necessarily see, like unusual instrumentation uh, that you don't normally get in, in film, right? When you think of like symphonies or just purely digital compositions. So he used uh, like really unique sources of, of sound uh, to create like a unique otherworldly sound that fits the aliens and what we're, what we're seeing and something that like doesn't feel familiar at all. Um, and it's unfortunate that he wasn't actually allowed to compete in the Oscars for this score because uh, what happened in the film, I think at the start and end, you get another piece of music called On the Nature of Daylight that was written by Max Richter. And because those are two like very emotionally um, critical moments in the film, uh, the Oscars were like, oh, uh, that might change people's like interpretation of the film. Um, and so because like you used a different piece of music that wasn't originally written, um, you can't actually compete in this category, but oh, wow. yeah, it's like, I think otherwise, like the score is amazing. Like I will listen to it. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate that he couldn't compete in that category, but, uh, yeah, it's a great kind of source. I think they used, um, 
some like some like wooden blocks for some piece of the instrumentation and uh, another almost like an indigenous language singer singing the word for water there's like a voice that you can hear in some of the pieces where uh, you hear her singing and it just sounds yeah completely unique I, I can imagine because I, I, I keep thinking about Jurassic Park um, when it first came out no one knows what uh, dinosaurs sounded like so they just made up some noises um, similar to the quiet place like uh, they, they have these giant monsters and they're just using vegetables to make the weird weird scary noises but in this case I feel like for arrival they're using this billowing um, just this this vibration that you feel uh, and I just you feel it right into your core then you just feel it and then you're, you're talking to these aliens that are massive and you're and I think it's just really really fantastic about how how the music was an additional character in the film. Right. Um, yeah, that billowy sound you talked about for the aliens, I don't know what they used for it, but I know some people who didn't like the film, and when they talk about it, they're just like, oh, well, it was two hours of whale sounds, <laughs> <laughs> which is somewhat accurate, but um, I was like, I liked it. I don't know. Maybe you. <laughs> I know what I think about it. I think about it. I mean, originally it's supposed to look like octopuses, uh, right? And that, that, it's, it's, instead they're called heptapods. Um, but they, they do look similar to, I thought they were just giant octopuses, like black ones, because they had the ink. Um, they had the weird squiggly hands that extended out. But overall, yeah, I, I guess the whole whale noises. Yeah, I guess I, I never thought about that. But that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> It might just be a function of their size, right? They're so large that... Um, any sound they make is just going to almost become vibration to us uh, oh, if it's like that true. low frequency. But um, yeah, and mentioning like octopuses, uh, I know some people like to think that octopuses are kind of otherworldly. Maybe they came from space. Yes. And so uh, yeah, it's kind of cool that you get I, these. I, <laughs> absolutely, I totally, I totally believe that octopuses are out of this world, amazing. And the way they can camouflage is unlike any other creature on land for sure yeah so i wonder if uh if that was any intention on this on this film where they have like these almost octopus like creatures they're just saying that they're like the original source for the octopi but <laughs> octopi octopuses i think octopus isn't latin so octopi is technically incorrect but i don't octopi? know yeah i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure hopefully hopefully we'll get a listener who can correct us yeah and talking about like language and we just don't know the sources of these words like the yeah, etymology. <laughs> talking about language. Uh, Chris, you want to talk us to the next topic there? Sure. Uh, so today's science topic is the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, uh, which is kind of central to the story, right? Uh, the short story was based around it. It's like this high concept sci-fi about what if Sapir-Whorf was completely true? Uh, what would happen? And so the, I guess, uh, broad strokes general uh, description of Sapir-Whorf is either linguistic determinism or linguistic relativity, where the language an individual speaks influences their way of thinking of the world or their view of the world. Uh, and yeah, obviously that's very broad. So there's like this strong version, which is linguistic determinism, that says language determines thought and kind of your, your action and how you act. Um, and it determines your cognitive categories. And then you have the weak version of this hypothesis, which is just linguistic relativity, uh, which says that language influences the view of reality 
uh, your thought and your decisions. So, um, yeah, I mean, this film obviously goes into that in depth with uh, Louise learning a language that is completely unique to to Earth. Like, we'd never seen anything like it, and it's one that is based around time. And as she learns it, she begins to think, uh, she gets to see the world and the universe through what she needs, I guess, uh, to understand that language, right? Yeah. No, I think that also it talks about determinism as well, saying, hey, if you give if you give someone a hammer, all they're going to see is nails. That's that's exactly what, you know, the in, in that particular film, it was what the Chinese were playing a, a game of, uh, a, a game, I think it's Wujang. Um, and, and it was very interesting where versus the linguistic relativity, where I, I think it's more of the more of the weak versions of the hypothesis, because I don't think that, I mean, sure, sure, our languages aren't compatible with each other. We definitely can't do direct translations for every word and for all different types of languages. And I do think that there's definitely a barrier uh, between languages in some cases. Um, I know that there are some African tribes that literally don't have any written language, so that would be a bit more tough. It's all it's all verbal, and there's also the lack of uniformity and ability to transform any information uh, easily. For example, the Roman numerals uh, they, they use i, xi, vi um, for their their numerals, and I find that very difficult for that civilization to quickly do algebra and those kinds of things. Whereas in our state of math, it's a lot, lot easier with these actual like one, two, three, four, five kind of numbers. And I, I, told, I totally understand that, uh, that this whole, once you, once you, once you made, made that up, the uh, linguistic theory, and I did some research for it, I found it very, very interesting because when I grew up, um, my first language was French, and when I moved back to Canada, my parents spoke English. Um, but it was it was very interesting because I always swore in my head in French, but I could obviously didn't swear a lot um, <laughs> aloud because <laughs> I was a good kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Does does uh, um, French have like more creative swear words than English, or was it? I just... think it's a lot. I mean, English swear words a lot more. Uh, how do I say vulgar versus French words, which is so much more smoother. They they slip off the top of your tongue, slip off the top of your tongue, obviously. Um, and I think it's I think it's a lot better. But as I get older, the the language that you speak that's more prominent, you definitely you definitely think about it, you dream about it more. When I was younger, I definitely dreamt in French, but now as I got older, I I only dream in English now. Mm -hmm. So. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's when you were talking, you kind of touched on some of the main concerns of like and critiques of uh, linguistic determinism. Uh, I think the main one you touched on was this idea of like translation and understanding. So if you were like a strict linguistic determinist where, uh, yeah, the language you speak influence or yeah directly determines your view of the world there's this idea that like you wouldn't be able to understand something in another language which isn't exactly true right like um there are words that yeah you can't directly translate but you can translate a rough version of it um right like i think of german there's tons of german words that 
mean like kind of these concepts in in english like schadenfreude the feeling of pleasure derived from seeing another's misfortune like we don't have a word for it but the germans they just have a word for it so Mm -hmm. uh yeah and like i think because the definition of like uh the sapir wharf hypothesis is so broad it does leave a bit of i guess like argument and debate as to whether a translation is good enough or is it not good enough to understand uh, the original word. Um, And yeah, I think that's in the field of study, right? I think the deterministic version, linguistic determinism has been sort of, that's too strict. It's not not really taken seriously. And uh, or linguistic relativity has been maybe come back a bit. Um, There was a time where like no one even talked about it. I think the 90s uh, it had kind of totally fallen out of favor because people like Noam Chomsky and Steven Pinker, who are cognitive psychologists, they instead argued for something like universalism. I don't know if you've heard about that, but uh, it's this idea that the brain doesn't actually think in any language. And so it's sort of like this meta language that is mentalese that you can't really, uh, you don't have like actual words for it, it's just thinking. Um, and then language is just a way to start describe what the brain does. But in universalism, everyone has like the same chemical kind of composition in the brain and all that. So we all have that mental ease that is sort of pre-language or meta-language. Um, but yeah, now I guess at least relativism, relativity, linguistic relativity is coming back, uh, which is kind of interesting. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, I... Does everyone think in their own way? I mean, if, if you think about it, there are babies out there. Um, I know because uh, I have a friend who obviously speaks a lot more languages than I do um, and very, very fluent. And uh, growing up, uh, he had multiple people talking to him in multiple languages, which is very, very confusing as a child. Um, and he, he grew up very, very quiet because he didn't know which language to use to talk to the right person. So it can be super confusing if you have multiple languages being thrown at you as a child. Um, but I think that the, the most important language is just, yeah, the visual communication definitely helps. And I, I love the fact that when Louise came back from the first uh, session with the aliens, she was, she, she thought, you know, my God, she couldn't do this, but then she had the idea to bring out a whiteboard and the whiteboard definitely helped create that understanding that our words in our letters are correlated versus the aliens are, they are not correlated at all. Um, I thought was, I thought it was very interesting. They never brought that up in the film. Like, how did she figure that out? But I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I guess. Let's go with that. I guess she just wanted like a teaching aid. Um, and because our words are, right, we have written language as well um, that directly correspond to the words we speak. Um, yeah, I guess it just makes sense for us to use that teaching aid. But maybe similar to uh, that when all you have is a hammer, all you see are nails. Like you, she using that teaching aid, um, then everything that needs to become visual, right? And the aliens have their visual, like written language, I guess with the ink logograms, which are incredibly well designed, right? You have these, uh, and the way they describe them in the film, uh, it's just a perfect way to describe their view of time, the alien's view of time, right? You need to know the end and the beginning so that you can perfectly write 
right your sentence your phrase your uh your word in that in that circle but. no i think that i once i i know what i really love about this film is that it teaches me something new um i I've, I've seen a lot of films chris if i could tell you i used to watch one film a day through my university career um that's seven years of of constantly watching new films. When I saw this movie, I was like, wow, this is actually teaching me something new. I was very excited. Um, and when I saw that, I was like, having, teaching, saying a whole sentence in one character. I don't know, I thought it was, like, and there are some, there are some characters in the Mandarin language that, you know, they, 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 say, they do mean a lot. Um, but then, then, then there's like, uh, that different type of noodles can have multiple characters as well. So when they sh they show me this type of beautiful, not only did they make it like very new, but they made it very beautiful. The the characters that the, the heptapods made, I thought that was really really fascinating. Yeah, it it really is like an inspired decision uh, on the production designer's part, on the director's part. Uh, it's definitely something that when I like I don't have any tattoos yet, but I want one <laughs> and like. This is the this is one of the things where I'm like this might be the first tattoo I get just a whether it be like humanity or something or written in the logogram because uh, it's just so beautiful and I think it has some meaning behind it. Right. I think that would be really cool. <laughs> and plus, if there ever happen to be heptopods, then they can mm -hmm. <laughs> somehow know that oh my gosh, this guy speaks our language. Yeah. Humanity is not completely a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah. When you were talking about your friend um, who like had parents with multiple uh, or yeah, family with multiple languages spoken in the household, it kind of gave me this idea for a thought experiment that would be interesting, um, which would be if you have someone who like isn't taught any language uh, when they're growing up, like if they were they're born, you raise them to 20, giving them like the necessities to live. Right. And then you set them free. Like, right, how do they picture the world? Um, how do they describe and think of the world? And it's not something that we can necessarily test. I think there is. I think that, but as humanity, we've chosen to leave those cultures alone. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure that they have some sort of vocal language. Um, even when you're eating, you're slurping, you're still making a noise with your mouth. Um, when you're snoring, you're, you're unconsciously making a noise. Um, but I, I do think that, when you're sad, you're crying, you're wailing. You can you can definitely tell that when you're crying, you're upset. And when you're scared, you scream. So I think that even even fundamentally, a baby knows that when they're upset, they scream. So they make some sort of vocal. That's why toddlers always they scream and cry because they know that if I make a lot of noise, my parent is going to pay attention to me and give me what I want. They want that popsicle and they're going to get it no matter what, you know? So I, I do think that there is always going to be some sort of baseline that, okay, screaming equals attention equals I'll eventually get what I want. If I cry, something's wrong, uh, I'll do something. But if they're, um, I think it would be dip more difficult to say if like, oh, how they're feeling, how do they express being happy versus being content being versus I'm sick. You know, they're all very quiet things. Um, but if they're moaning, is there something internally going on? Um, I think eventually they, they figure that out. But if you're, if you're taking just a person that never had any words associated and you know, brought them to um, Vancouver or Seattle, I think, they have, 
I think they'd have a culture shock, but also I can't imagine them not enjoying music. Uh, they, I think they can't go 20 years without at least knowing the beat of a drum or the sound of a waterfall, uh, the sound of trees, like those kinds of things that they, they, they would ne necessarily associate, okay, if I hear the sound of trees, I'm near a forest. But yeah, that would be a very interesting thought experiment to have a person. <laughs> well, yeah, you get, in, you get into a lot of things that you've kind of brought up, which would be, would they, there's obviously vocal cues, I guess, um, or audio sort of cues that they would make for certain feelings. Um, I wonder if they would develop sounds for whatever objects they had in their experimental upbringing, right? Like, would they start naming food something just because uh, they needed something to refer to it? Uh, and then, yeah, I think within this study of, like, linguistic relativity, you get a lot of, like, language and culture and how they influence each other and how we think about things. Um, and, yeah, I think you kind of bring that up with uh i guess like even talk about music and how they might interact with music and um if language is culture and is so like linked to it and then i think we're trying to say chris is that language is is definitely a huge part of their culture i think um not not to get into dictatorships but if you take away someone's language and you force them upon something else uh you definitely take a part of their heritage. I mean, I've seen that in a lot of Aboriginal communities, if you take away their language, they do lose a part of their culture because they're so ingrained with their natural environment that it, it, their language connects them to their heritage, to their culture, and it's so important. Uh, and I think that's a, it's a really key portion of their culture. It's not just music, the sound of drums or anything, but it's, it's, it's also the the words that you say, or any, even the, the written sculptures, written words as well, that's really, really important. Um, I think that's, that's a key part of any civilization's culture. Yeah, it really is. And I guess how, yeah, culture and how we communicate, they're so interlinked, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. But yeah, maybe that's where this linguistic relativity, that's where it becomes this sort of gray area um, of, yeah, is it, completely true right this sort of broad scope thing of because they're so interlinked um you don't know which causes the other and then which influences the other right um obviously as culture change language will evolve um but if you're teaching someone new and new, like uh your children the language then um they're going to start yeah being able to communicate and uh that's how they kind of express themselves through that language uh, and yeah they both interact back and forth so yeah the, it's sort of like chicken and egg type uh, argument of which is influencing the other which comes first uh, or is it more intertwined than that very good topics chris <laughs> very good things to think about isn't it <laughs> very very now there's this other question that kind of comes up in the movie uh related to this because you talk about the it, the movie deals with time right uh, because the alien's language they can see, they have to know past, present, and future all at the same time so that they can correctly kind of make their their written language. And that's how they see the world, right? There is no like past, present, or future. They just see time all, all at once. And I think that brings in the concept of free will and versus sort of determinism. Uh, so the writer, Eric Kaiser, he believes 
that at the end of the movie, Louise makes the choice of having a child at the end. Like, she knows what's going to happen to her child, that it's going to be painful, the child's going to get sick, but he believes, yeah, Louise makes the choice to still have it, despite, or because she knows what will happen. Um, but, yeah, do you believe that maybe this world in the movie is one that has choice? Do you have free will, or does it seem like it's more of a deterministic world uh, where you can correctly predict what's going to happen? Um, or is there maybe something else going on? Wow, Chris. Um, I, I love how you're asking uh, anyone that question. I think that's <laughs> the ultimate question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. it? What is the purpose of our life? Is it just already predetermined? Are we, are we just following someone else's hidden agenda? Or are we in the matrix? Are we just like plugged into some sort of game and we're just characters and whatever? Um, but yeah, I think that if you if you know the the past, present, and future, would that change your outlook in life? And I think absolutely it would. And do I? Unfortunately, you're talking to a person who's religious, so I I have to go with my gut and say, hey, uh, yeah, there's a plan, and you can you can deviate from that path as much as you want. Um, at the end of the day, we all meet our maker. Uh, or maybe not. Uh, in my belief, I do believe we all meet our maker at the very end and we get to go somewhere beyond this. But some people say that's it. When the curtains are closed, that's it. I hope you enjoyed your 100, 100 years on this beautiful earth and that's it. But uh, I think for me, unfortunately, yeah, I'm a really boring person. I'm, I'm super religious. So I have to say that there's a path for everyone. You can deviate from it. Um, but I, I think that it's what's really hard. What's really hard is understanding that path. She has a dog. She chooses to have a daughter and knowing that that daughter was going to have an incurable disease and die young. And I think that is such, that's such, is it, it's such a hard question to ask. And I don't have kids, but I can, I know that there are some parents out there that can really relate to this being like, you know, sometimes after a couple of months that maybe this child has some has some sort of um, disease or inability to do something, and you wonder, do you keep the child or not? And it's just that's th this movie is talking about even prior to inception. Like, is that should that child even exist? And she chooses to have that child because she knows that 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 joy and that spark. And I, I also believe the same. Like that child could do something within that tiny span of life that will make a difference. Um, for some of the listeners that may not know, I recently lost my mother. So I understand that, yes, some people are definitely taken away way too early, but their lifespan on this earth was meant to do something, was meant to mean something. Um, and I realize now that they've been, there's been a lot of scholarships in her name, which is fantastic. Um, big shout out to those who contributed to any cancer research, anything like that. It's, I think it's really fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I'd have to say that life is so incredibly precious and your choice to contribute to this earth by procreating and having children and creating something fantastic and leaving your mark, um, even leaving a podcast could change that one person's listener, you know, change exactly. that one person's life and perspective. I think you really touch on something there, which is, uh, like, yeah, one, it's her understanding that as much as there's pain to that life, 
there's also so much joy and so much more that gets brought uh, from that person being in the world. Um, and I think the other thing you said was about kind of understanding. And yeah, if you have maybe that knowledge of like past, present, and future, um, you might be making a choice, right? Yeah, you might have free will to make choices, but um, it's more about making sure you let the course of um, the world kind of happen as it will going down the path that, that you kind of see coming up ahead of you. And it's understanding why the things are happening the way they do, right? It's trying to maybe give you that greater understanding that's bigger than, yeah, than like that one individual, but trying to understand things from a, a much higher perspective. Yeah, I think that free will is probably the greatest gift that any any person has. What we decide to do with the time that we're given is such a precious and amazing, amazing gift and time. The time that we have with the people that we get to meet and get to talk to, and it, it creates a, its own culture, I think. Um, the way we get to talk to each other, the way we get to interact with each other, the people we get to meet. I think that at the end of the day, we can't take any of these materialistic things with us at the end. It's just, it's just the people we love. So I, I, for me, I think I love this film also because so many families, and I don't think there's any person on this earth that can avoid loss. At the end, like we all end up losing something um, or losing someone that we love. And we, we have to take our minds and take our souls or whatever you believe in um, and, and, and take that with us. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's similar. It's similar to the, the arrival of a baby coming. It's like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. And then the arrival of a, a, a person going to the next stage of their life. It's, I think that the movie really touches the fact that, sure, we know we know that 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 Louise ends up having a child, and she keeps she has that child. I find it very interesting whether or not she chooses to tell her husband later on. Would you tell that person like, hey, if we have a kid, that kid's likely going to die pretty young. Do we do we want to go forward? She doesn't tell that until after the baby's born which I thought was like, huh, huh, if you're given, if, Chris, if you were given, if you were given all the knowledge of your entire life, but only snippets of it, uh, would you do anything differently? I mean, that's where, I, I think it's it's a similar question to me to uh, ask about, like, even if looking at your past, right, would you do anything differently? Do you have any regrets? Um, and of course, if you change anything in your past, you probably won't be exactly where you are today. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I think if I knew what was going to happen, I don't think I would want to change anything. Um, just, uh, yeah, it, maybe it's like, it maybe depends on what I see, right? Is it yeah. very tragic? <laughs> then, of course, like, I'd want to, but uh, I think there's, like, the saying, um, one often meets their destiny while trying to escape it or something. I know that's mm -hmm. like a Chinese proverb or it was in Kung Fu Panda. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it was just a Kung Fu Panda proverb, but um, yeah, like if you, yeah, if you're going to run away from something, maybe that's what gets you to where you're going to, to what you saw. Um, 
And so I think, yeah, it's much better to kind of live in the present, live in the moment, um, and just let what happens happen, I guess. And, uh, yeah, of course, like strive to do better and like be optimistic and, uh, have hope for the future and do all that. But, um, yeah, do it with, uh, some, I guess, like level of moderation and making sure you're not missing out on the precious, precious moments, uh, that we have now. Right. Um, right. Sure you, you enjoy the things that are, uh, coming in. But. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, for, for a person that had to live with, you had to like, um, take care of a person who had an incurable disease, uh, you, you take, you look at life a lot differently than most people, because most people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to live my entire life. My parents are going to join my wedding. They're going to be part of my kids. Like for people that, for me growing up, it was like, okay, I have to, I have to change my mindset knowing that I am going to live my life without a parent missing. Um, thank God my dad's okay. But uh, I think, I think that for me, it was growing up knowing that, hey, I am going to lose my mother at some point. There's nothing that's going to stop it. And so what am I going to do with that? Um, I'm, I, for me, I always had to look at things differently compared to most people, especially at my age. Um, I'm not going to tell listeners how old I am, obviously. Um, I'm obviously super, <laughs> I'm super private about my age. <laughs> but anyway, um, I have to say that for Arrival, Louise makes a choice um, and she sees the she sees the future and she sees that joy. And I'd have to say, yes, you have to, you have to take the time you have. And if you know that's going to be joyful, then, then take it. But I couldn't take that. I couldn't make that choice. I'd, I'd be like, let's get that surrogacy. Let's get that going on. Let's, let's, let's adopt a child. My God, that was, that'd be too tough. Yeah. Personally, that'd be way too tough of a choice for me, for me to make. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a personal choice, hopefully you don't have to make that ever, but yes <laughs> yeah it's just just too much right so too much i think it's too much but I, I louise knew that if she didn't make the choices she didn't that she that she'd make she wouldn't have saved the world so in that case mm-hmm. if i was louise i saved the world i knew the future i wouldn't want to change anything because that could have ripple effect and other aliens could come but if you know that hey you're going to live this particular life and it's not going to be it's going to be tragic but it's not going to be terrible, not op- apocalyptic. Um, then, yeah, you, I guess you pick the pick the one that you know it's going to be okay. Then you're going to survive at least. Yeah, of course. So, I guess maybe that just leaves one last question about aliens, <laughs> right? Like, if the other option, um, this is at its core like an alien invasion film. Uh, I remember when I first watched it the trailer to me made it seem like it was going to be uh, like the day the earth stood still, like an alien comes down, mm-hmm. you get Klaatu or whatever his name is coming out. And I don't know if he like goes to destroy the world, but uh, this takes like a totally unique kind of turn on that. But yeah. Is this you... the one with Keanu Reeves? There, so that was the remake. I think there was a 1950 film. Oh, that was I like the, <laughs> okay. I seen the Keanu Reeves one. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Anything with Keanu Reeves, I'll watch. Yeah. I, I think that's my problem. But mm-hmm. continue. <laughs> well, yeah. So if aliens were to drop down on Earth, um, what is the most important question that we need to ask them? Is it, yeah, about their purpose? Is it about how they get here? Like, what do you think is 
should we be worried about or concerned with when uh, when aliens come to Earth? Definitely not Fibonacci. That's for sure. Um, that's I think that's one thing I learned from this movie. Definitely don't ask them Fibonacci sequences. I think I think another question is what's what's the most important question to ask them? Do you ask them, oh, what's your purpose, or do you ask them, do you speak English? But that's similar to if someone right now at the middle of the night were to barge into your apartment, would you say, hey, do you speak English? Or would you say, what are you doing here? Um, you assume that they speak a similar language um, to you. I think that knowing what their intention is, especially when they're surprising you, it's, it's really important. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say, like, when you think about that burglar coming into your door, do you, do you stay calm and be like, hey, do you speak English? Do you speak Spanish? Um, do you speak French? Uh, what language do you speak? Or do you say, hey, I'm going to call 911 and make sure I get out of this lot? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That is a good, uh, yeah, good analogy. It's, um, yeah, if someone just comes into your house, how, how calm do you stay? And what's going to mm -hmm. be the appropriate response, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if it was Keanu Reeves and he, he, he came down and was uh, saying, I'm from a different planet, I'd be like, I knew it. I knew it, Keanu. I knew you were from a different planet. Yeah, you ageless god. You age, you age you're ageless. You're just like Jared Leto. You, you never age and you constantly look perfect. I don't understand. <laughs> but I think that if there was an alien, you'd have to, as a collective, be like, okay, what's our response? I think what's really interesting is that we live on a planet in a universe. And for me to think that there's no other species out there that can at least communicate to each other and aren't watching us is uh, elementary. And it's totally believable, from, in my opinion, uh, that there's got to be another species out there in the universe watching us and probably laughing at us. <laughs> I mean, Christopher, do you really think that we're alone in this universe? Uh, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. And do you believe that there's at least one alien stuck on this planet if it's not an octopus? That one, maybe I'm a bit, uh, I don't know, conservative there. Where I'm like, I don't think aliens have necessarily come to visit us too much. I think I think there could be like a tiny organism. I I, I have a hard time believing that something large can go through space and us not be able to protect it. But a tiny fly or something, mosquito. I honestly hate mosquitoes. Even though they're really important to our ecosystem and bats and food chain, chain and everything, but man, mosquitoes are terrible. They're just, they're blood sucking. They're blood sucking, they're, 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 they're transmitting diseases left, right, and center, causing mayhem. Yeah, yeah, we could do without them, I think. <laughs> we could do without them, but at the same time, our food chain would be completely upside down without them. So I understand, I understand that they're really important, but I am an anti-mosquito. I apologize to all the mosquito fans out there, but I'm an anti-mosquito person. That's why I moved to the Pacific Northwest where there are no mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. That's a good choice. I wonder, <laughs> yeah, how many people are pro-mosquito um, to the point that, I don't think you'll get any haters for saying you're anti-mosquito. I think I think that in probably hopefully our fan your fan base your fan base uh, are anti mosquito. I hope they listen from the hopefully Pacific Northwest Westerners. They do listen to this and they'll be like, oh no, there's so many mosquitoes. Just you know, get those wax things and get those sprays out. But I'm not a deep fan, so I hate to say. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, 
So anti-deet, but also anti-mosquito. Okay. Yeah, yeah. More chemicals into the system. I don't know. It seems, it seems like a bad idea. But Arrival, I have to say, Arrival is the best film probably of 2016, in my opinion. It provided a lot of brand new ideas. It showed that language is not an easy thing to teach a super intellectual creature from another planet. Um, but overall, I think that democracy rules and that, sorry, not democracy, it's um, being calm and being willing to negotiate and work together as a community as a whole. Um, I think that the earth and humanity need to work together if there are 12 alien spaceships that happen to show up tomorrow. I'd hope that, I'd hope that humanity, we don't just throw a bunch of bombs at them. I'd, ho I'd hope that, because if I was an alien, I ended up being lost in the universe and I showed up in this beautiful world. I hope that you let me at least visit and give me a little place to, place to see and not, not be stuck in Area 51. Yeah, I think the movie does give us something to, to strive toward, which is that idea of like coming together, working as a collective, being able to communicate uh, across the world to make sure that, yeah, we... Um, yeah, we can actually like figure out what aliens want and uh, solve kind of these bigger problems that are more affect more than just one uh, one country, but affect all of us, right? Yeah, I think that humanity has so much to give, and the ultimate I think the ultimate language that transcends any time is is love. Similar to if you guys watched Interstellar from a previous podcast, yeah, love is transcended through time, space. And everything, I think uh, whether people are here or gone, um, I think love is the end, is the end thing that we all end up with. And aliens would learn a lot from what humanity can give from love. I think that it's, it's the most powerful force, probably the most unmeasurable powerful force that humanity can give to each other. I think you're right. That's probably a good, good place to end today's podcast, I think. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm sure I got into a tangent. I'm so sorry to all the listeners. I'm just kidding. <laughs> thank you, listeners, for listening. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to you about Arrival. Uh, I'm glad you like the film as much as I do. And uh, yeah, it was a good, good chance to talk about the film. Yeah, I hope everyone goes out to see this amazing film. I hope it trans transforms your life as much as it did for the rest of us. Or at least, you know, you, you enjoy the whale sounds. <laughs> Yeah, if nothing else, just enjoy, enjoy listening to whales for two hours. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'd love for you to share the show with your friends and follow us on social. We are at SciMindsFiction on Twitter and at SciMindsFi on Facebook and Instagram. We are also SciMindsFi at gmail.com if you'd like to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, so, yeah, thanks so much for listening. I'm Christopher Stern. And uh, today here with... With Veronica! And until next time, hold on to your butts.